And welcome back to Cthulhu Light Show, your one-stop shop for nerd news you've already heard and opinions you don't need. On today's episode, we'll be discussing some nerd news, and then our first two-part episode, in which we will discuss um, the recent series 12, season 12, whatever you want to call it, of Doctor Who, and then, if we get around to it, uh, The Mandalorian. Oh, and uh, I'm Dakota. I'm Brian. And you sound really good. What's up with that? Yeah, we adjusted our audio, we figured some shit out. Hopefully this works better. Hopefully. So, um, like I said, this is going to be one of those weird ones where I don't have enough to talk about because I'm horribly unprepared as a podcaster. So, this is a two this is a twofer episode where we discuss the Mandalorian and Doctor Who. But first, as is tradition now, I guess, let's get into nerd news. There's, there's got to be a better title for that, but we'll figure it out. So, first off here, I don't really just like to get super serious on here, but there's a couple things that I just couldn't ignore. We're going to start with the scary news. Yeah, we're going to make you feel real uncomfortable before we yell about uh, British television. So, bringing up the article from CNET.com, there's an app called Clearview that lets strangers find your name and info with just a photo. Right, and when we say info, we mean, like, down to, like, your address and things like, like that. Like your docs, as yeah. the kids say. Yeah, yeah, you can be doxxed with a, with a the click of a camera. And that is absolutely terrifying. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, in, in, in my more personal matters, I'm more of a, I guess, an advocate for internet anonymity, which is a better way of saying I, I have a VPN. <laughs> yeah. Cuz I don't like yeah. being tracked. I think I think both of us are kind of nervous about the whole um the whole like <clears throat> lack of internet privacy thing, like the the idea of having all of these devices in your home that are like listening to you and selling your data 24/7, like that shit gives me like cold sweats. I hate that. Um it, unfortunately, it's really inescapable. Yeah. In today's society, especially. Well, that's the interesting thing, is uh, like when when we were in high school, you were really into like being as like internet private as possible and like doing everything you could to avoid having your information collected and sold and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't care at all, and I think uh, you've more or less accepted your lot in life, and now I've become a lot more paranoid about it. Yeah, I'm staring at a Google Home Mini right now. I, I've more, I've more oh, or less accepted that... Uh, well, I, I own a Google phone, so I've more or less accepted right. that Google knows oh, what you? I beat my meat to. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, but this is really scary, um, not just because, like, it will obviously violate a lot of privacy, but, like, think of what how this will revolutionize the stalking industry. Uh, gang stalking... Uh, doxing, like yeah. I said, that whole process. Yeah. Um, the last like pretense of privacy is being ripped away from us here. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we already knew that was happening because of the Amazon stores, which like, you know, just by looking at your face, they can charge your credit card or whatever. Like uh, that's yes. already uncomfortable. Automation with like the cashierless Whole Foods and shit. We figured that technically qualified as nerd news because it was like a tech development. But uh, it is existentially terrifying. Much like uh, the inspiration for our podcast name. Yes. Bam. Boom. There's your tie-in. The the bam and boom, that was me dabbing. Oh, no. (laughs) Hell yeah. Don't admit to that. So, I don't know how much we want to get into this, because the more I learn about this, the, the scarier it is. I think we should just move into our next piece of sad, sad news. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't get less existentially or personally depressing, this episode. Our next bit of news here, uh, Monty Python co-founder, director, writer, guy, Terry Jones, uh, died Tuesday, January 22nd, after battling... Uh, a rare form of dementia, which I googled because I'm 
more focused on Star Wars. I'm, I'm not a guy that really looks into, like, <laughs> end-of-life uh, neuro diseases. <laughs> Are those, like, the two things that you can be interested in? That's, like, the spectrum? It's Star Wars or dementia? <laughs> that, that's, that's the nerd... Uh, the, uh, it's the two sides of the nerd spectrum. There's... <laughs> There's everything on Disney Plus and then advanced (laughs) neuro diseases. Yikes. (laughs) So, um, God, the the laughing. Sorry, Terry. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say coping. I mean, I I like, I'm a big fan of Monty Python, but it's it's not one of those where I'm going to break down. Yeah. Over his loss. Yeah. Of course, it, it's it's tragic. Monty Python, pretty much everyone's introduction to British humor, you know, the, the dry wit of, of uh, the UK is from either Monty, either Monty Python's Flying Circus or the movies of which Terry Jones uh, directed the, you know, the, the best ones. Uh, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, Life of Brian, and The Meaning of Life. It, it's 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 really it's really it's really a sad day and like I said I, I looked into his specific brand of dementia I guess what what he actually suffered from which is uh, frontotemporal dementia it, it's dementia but it it, it like it like it, it implies it, it it attacks more of the uh, the frontal lobe of the brain I'm sure this is as really opposed riveting for our listeners. Oh yeah, it, it's this is this is what everyone tunes in for. It's not for talks about uh, Disney properties and Pokemon. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's it's terrifying. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to think too much into it. But uh, you know, rest in peace, Terry Jones. And Brian, it it doesn't it doesn't get any easier. Oh no. It's it, it's 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 just been. One after the other after the other today. Uh, another titan of uh, of television, this time on, on more of the state side, uh, has also passed. Uh, Mr. Peanut, tragically, has passed away oh, no. at the age of 104. Oh, fuck. I know, I know. Mr. Peanut? Not Mr. Peanut. Uh, he... He died a hero. There, there is exclusive footage you can find of, uh, of his untimely demise. Oh, I don't no. recommend looking it out. It's, uh, you know, it, you're, watch, you're watching a man die. Not safe for work, kid. <laughs> no. And, you know, per his wishes, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is in his last will and testament, uh, his funeral will air during the Super Bowl. Wow. I wonder. I, I wonder if his. <laughs> I wonder if his. Does does his estranged brother, the Monopoly Man, have any thoughts or? Has he issued a statement? Uh, not yet. Okay, uh, Mr. Clean actually put out a statement. Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean the on on the Mr. Clean's Twitter. <laughs> For real? Yeah. Oh my god. He put out a statement. You can you can of course um you know, chime in on social media. I gotta uh, fucking look at this with the hashtag uh, R.I.Peanut. <laughs> Mr. Peanut, iconic Planters mascot, dies at 104. Oh, where's the Mr. Clean? Uh, Mr. Peanut. Where's the Google Mr. Clean, Mr. Peanut. Jesus Christ, this is. Oh, here it is. Here it is. I found it. At real Mr. Clean. Always classy, always crunchy, always cleaned up nicely. We'll miss him. Hashtag R.I.P. Nut. Oh, no. <laughs> Here's one from Oreo. Help us give a 21 dunk salute to our nutty and sweet friend. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag R.I.P. Nut. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Bojack Horseman! <laughs> what? Sending thoughts and prayers to Mr. Peanut's family. If he has a family, I'm not actually sure. That was from the that was from the the Bojack Horseman Twitter. Oh my god! 
Oh no, Snickers said we too would sacrifice it all for the nut. R.I.P. Nut. <laughs> I would also sacrifice it for the nut. I've sacrificed a lot of things in my earlier life for the nut. Oh no. Oh, I hate. What a. Bu- I hate what everything. What a bizarre marketing campaign, dude. The fucking Walking Dead weighed in. Wait, what? The fucking Walking Dead on Twitter said hashtag R.I.P. Nut. We know a thing or two about killing off favorites. May he rest in peanuts. Rest in peanuts? That, that's, that's, a little, that's a little insensitive. Rest in, <laughs> rest in a pile of corpses. The Walking Dead is advocating for a mass grave. Yeah, which, <laughs> Walking Dead, there's a, lot of mass, there's a lot of them there. Rest in a mass grave full of the, the helpless that you've exploited over the course of your 104-year-old life, you capitalist bitch. fucking asshole what a bizarre bizarre marketing stunt I mean Mr. Peanut thank you for your sacrifice because otherwise otherwise this would be an incredibly depressing episode (laughs) Um, speaking of depressing you want to talk about the Mewtwo Strikes Back remake yeah yeah let's get into that let's get into some actual news yeah, it's pretty pretty basic. Um, the first Pokemon movie, which came out damn near 20 years ago now, I think. I don't remember the exact year. About. But, um, yeah, about 20 years ago. Uh, it's been remastered. Um, it's been redone in a CG style that I really don't care for. Um, I think we're in agreement on that. Yeah, yeah. I. And uh, even comparing it, yeah. even comparing it to the... The 90s, uh... <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm still choked up about Mr. Bob, Mr. Peanut. We all are. Even comparing uh, the new CG to the original movie, you know, the 90s uh, anime aesthetic. Uh, it's just... This, more than anything, it's probably because I'm actually, like, invested in the original property. This, more than anything, feels like a soulish cash grab. Oh yeah, it definitely does. Um, especially because as we were discussing, they they remade it frame for frame, beat for beat. Like there's there is nothing, as far as I can tell from the trailer, nothing new added to it. It's just in a worse, less expressive art style. I mean, the animation is fluid. I'll give it that. It looks it looks like there's a bunch of money behind it. It looks good. In a technical sense, yeah. but it's it, it's it's soulless. That that's that's the new buzzword I've learned off uh, off the internet. You know, soul versus soulless. Yeah, I just think like it's kind of like a Lion King situation where like this might be arguably more technically impressive than the original, although I think like hand animation is pretty pretty damn impressive. Um, it might be technically more impressive, but like I think as a result of using CG, it feels less expressive um it's not as bad as the lion king where like there was literally almost no expression on anybody's faces yeah, it goes but, all lions. right but with this i still feel like nobody's mouth is quite moving right nobody's really emoting properly um especially the pokemon i thought seemed weird like when pikachu spoke in the trailer it was very strange but this i believe was a already in existence in japan but netflix acquired the rights to translate and distribute it. That's, in, that's what I like, saw, is when I, I went yeah, and with, googled uh, Mewtwo Strikes Back, which, by the way, uh, came out in 98, so... Yeah. Okay, so yeah, damn near 20 years. Yeah. Actually, it, 20, over 20 years. 22. Yeah. Tw- 22 years, yeah, sorry. God, we're old. We are old. Anyway, um, we don't have much more to say on the topic. It, the point is just... It's happening, and I don't think either of us is too crazy about it. Anyway, uh, shall we get on to the the meat of the episode? God, please. This has been super depressing. Yeah, it really has. Okay, so we were going to talk about uh, the new series, Series 12 of Doctor Who, um, or Season 12, if that's what you want to call it. Um, Now, we have... uh, We are only planning really on talking about the first episode um, of the season, which was Spyfall Part 1. 
because um, we don't want to have an ultra in-depth discussion. Uh, we just kind of want to talk about like what our immediate thoughts were and where Doctor Who is and where it's going and just how we feel about it. Um, so, uh, Dakota, why don't you tell us briefly what your history is with Doctor Who? All right, it's it's I'll admit it's it's much less extensive than honestly it, sh- it should be if we're gonna talk about mm-hmm. it on the podcast, but also even in comparison to you, like especially especially in comparison to you. Um, you know, I I was in high school. I was in I was in high school when Tenant dropped. Um, I want to say Matt Smith was already in full swing at that point. Matt Smith started in 2010, so yeah, he. Was oh God! Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, Matt Smith was in full effect then when, when I was in high school, when we were in high school. Yeah. Tenet was from and, 2006 to 2009. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd watched, uh, some Matt Smith. I enjoyed him. I went back to watch Tenet because that was all the, was all the goddamn memes were at the time. And I enjoyed both of them, you know, Alan Z and all that shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever, dude, you, you we, we both did it. Leave me alone. I, I probably should go back and watch them at some point, but from what I remember, they were, rather entertaining um i liked it because the voices were different <laughs> what because they're british yes because they're that was the, the joke is because they're british okay you also had like a tom baker scarf and like a tom baker sonic screwdriver that you would carry around sometimes yeah i i i i, I fucking was that kid <laughs> i already i already have the hair yeah so. you do so the, yeah, the scarf and the, and the sonic screwdriver weren't too far off. Yeah, and from what I have seen of Capaldi, which is like three episodes and his regeneration, I really want to go back and watch him because I feel like I'd, I'd like him a lot. Yeah, which that's that's what you yeah, that's at least what you told me. I I think he'd be the doctor for you. Yeah, but you know we're not we're not here to talk about. Uh, I don't want to say a good doctor because I've only seen one episode out of this new one. We're not here to talk about Capaldi, though. We're here to talk about uh, the 13th Doctor, technically. Wink, wink. Don't worry about it. Um, even though it can only regenerate 12 times, we're not going to... Whatever. I think he got reset at some point, right? Yeah, well, even if you could only regenerate 12 times, that would still mean 13 bodies. Because, like, you start with your first body and then you regenerate 12 times. Um, the the real complication is she's called the 13th Doctor, but Moffat retconned in a Doctor between the 8th and the 9th um, for the 50th anniversary, so, like, technically she's the 14th Doctor. Or no, is she still technically the 12th Doctor? Because there was, like, a clone Doctor in there in the David Tennant years. What? The point is the Doctor Who continuity is convoluted and oftentimes very stupid. Um, but... They and also co- impossible to rectify. Yes, um, besides just by ignoring shit, which they do all the time. Uh, there have been so many episodes about the secret origin of the moon, but they keep doing them. Uh, but anyway, uh, they still market Whitaker as the 13th Doctor. Which, semantics. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but, um, so as for me, um, I have a very long history with the show, um, I, my interest in it really took off uh, in around 2005 when it was revived with Christopher Eccleston. Um, but even before that, my dad was a huge fan of the classic series, and I would often watch uh, old episodes with him on like VHS tapes. Um, so I, I, had a, I have a long history of being exposed to Doctor Who, um, and I became like obsessed. Um, around the Tenet and Smith eras, um, I know way more about the show than I would like to admit. Um, I've watched, like, the episodes of New Who way more than I'd like to admit, and I'm pretty damn familiar with Classic Who as well, just because I've caught up on so many of those episodes. Um, so, whereas Dakota was is a more, like, casual viewer, I've pretty much been, um... You know, I've pretty much been keeping up with it since the show came back in 2005. Um, I did have a brief, like, falling out with the show. I don't know if you remember this, Dakota, but um, pretty much for my college years, um, I just got so salty at the show. Um, <laughs> I, I got, I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated with Stephen Moffat 
and I felt like he was making all these, he was taking the show in directions I didn't like, and the show didn't take itself seriously anymore, and oh, Capaldi's a great actor, but maybe they don't know how to write for him, and all this stuff, um, and so I just, I just pretty much tuned out, like, I would always watch the new season, but I never cared much, um, very recently I went back and rewatched the, the late Moffat era, and discovered that I liked it way more than I had originally, I think I was just salty and didn't give it enough credit at the time, um, probably, but so, yeah. D- Dakota's more of a casual fan with a, an appreciation for like the show and the premise. I'm a I'm a much more hardcore fan um, who has an uh, invested a stupid amount of time into this franchise. Oh, in- indeed. Dude, I even uh, looked at the I, audio dramas as a kid. Oh my god, yeah. I struggle to call myself a casual fan. Yeah, because I haven't I haven't been like into Doctor Who since it got popular when it came back, you know, late Tenant, yeah. um, Smith eras. Yeah. You did, though, watch the first episode of Series 12, which is uh, Jodie Whittaker's second series of as the Doctor, and it was uh, Chris Chibnall's second series as the head writer. Um, so what were your thoughts on uh, Spyfall Part 1? Um, honestly... I, I was kind of drawn in, to be honest. Really? Like, okay. Yeah, like, and, and for reasons that I'll clarify in a second here, um, kind of makes you want to go back and watch Capaldi. Yeah, that's good. But, like, Wh- Whitaker, I, I, I can tell what they're doing with her. Um, I, I, I like her. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. How in depth I can get into it? Just because I've said I've seen one episode of right. her run. Jody's fine. Uh, you know, nothing to really write home about, unfortunately. At least from what I've seen so far. The episode itself is uh, weird. It, it's how do I explain it? Spy Spyfall Part One feels like a British parody of an American parody of James Bond. Huh. <laughs> Or an American attempt at James Bond, yeah. Maybe it, it's 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 ah, so weird. It very much has that feel of like this was like a person who thought they really got what made James Bond James Bond, but then maybe they really didn't. Yeah, it it feels like someone who might have seen an episode like a movie or two from the James Bond universe. And then, like, skimmed the Wikipedia article and then said, oh, yeah, I can do that. And then on the yeah. way to writing it, they watched the Rick and Morty episode that, like, took over, like, talked about heist movies and shit. Because there, there yeah. was some of that in there. Where it's, it's all, it's all weird. It feels, it feels, like I said, like a parody of a parody. Yeah. Um... Well, I, like, you, like, five minutes after you started watching, I got a text that said, okay, this is already super cheesy, and, um, I appreciated that, because I was like, okay, I'm really glad that this wasn't my imagination. So, did, did you, uh, did you enjoy the episode, overall? Yeah, overall, for what it was, um, I actually, I actually did enjoy it, despite yeah. my weird, choppy rambling about how it was weird. It was weird enough. Like, that's how Doctor Who should be. It's, it was weird enough that I was still drawn into actually wanting to watch it. Right. Um. I don't know. It, it's just, just. It, it it might necessitate a second viewing. Yeah. Well, and in fairness, it's part one of a two-parter. It's part um, one of a two. It's it's not only it's a part one of a two-parter. It's also. Jody's second series, whatever you want to call it. Right. This is this is this is my introduction to uh, to Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. Although being totally honest, um, her first season didn't really um, didn't really set up anything that pays off in this episode. Like even the characters, their relationships were like very minimal. I mean, the episode does start with like you're kind of picking up where they left off where, like, one of them's going for, like, a checkup because he's a cancer survivor, and the other one's catching up with old friends and stuff like that. But um, 
that stuff wasn't even that emphasized in the previous season, so... Really? Yeah, um, that we'll get into the writing, uh, but, um, <laughs> I would just say having seen, Dakota hasn't, but I have seen the second part, and, uh, I was not, it, it did not fix the episode for me, um, there oh, was, really? yeah, there were things that I thought were cool about this episode, um, but I often found that they just weren't, like, they either just weren't cool enough, or eventually they became less cool. Like, um, the, uh, the weird aliens were, like, when they walk through walls, they, like, become, like, they, they get, like, it's almost like a skin, like, the, the, the environment that they pass through is, like, plastered onto them, you know what I mean? I thought that was a cool effect. I thought, that's part, that's part of the cheesy charm, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Later, they just become glowing humanoid creatures which was less interesting to me um there is a twist at the end which is exciting but also i had mixed feelings about i don't know if we really want to get into spoilers uh, i i i i know what i know what the uh what the twist is there yeah um well i do, do you think we should get into the spoilers uh it's as of recording, it's only about three weeks old. I don't know if we... They're, they're on episode four now. Yeah. I don't know if we really want to get into spoilers, honestly. Yeah. Well, let's just say that there, uh, a substantial villain is introduced, and I wasn't totally sure how I felt about the actor who was playing that character. Um, okay. Because but... I, I did read that the entire first series for Jodie Whittaker was all, like, new villains, and they didn't, like, bring anyone back. They wanted to have yes. their own kind of rogues gallery. Yes, which they fucking failed at. Fantastic. Um, yeah, well, so, yeah, their whole idea was that they didn't want to have a single returning villain, um, and they only wanted new villains and, and monsters and stuff like that. But I think the general consensus was that every single alien they introduced was either totally like generic or for forgettable or just you know boring um as i complained to you a little bit before we started recording they did like a generic toxic waste made giant spiders episode and uh they uh they did an episode where they're trapped on a ship with a thing that's like eating the ship and it just it, there was nothing like exciting or interesting about it oh. um starting with the previous new year's special they brought the daleks back and that was definitely, for me, the best uh, Chibnall episode to date. Chibnall Whitaker episode to date. Um, and now they've brought back this character in this episode. They plan to bring back the Cybermen. They plan to bring back the Jadoon, which is a weird pull, uh, I think. But um, I don't know if you remember the, J the Jadoon. They're the rhino-headed guys from Tenet's era. Oh, all right. All right. They say yeah. Rofo, Kojo. Yeah, they're really weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of the Jadoon. Like, I I, uh, I, I kind of get what they were getting at, you know, with uh, this yeah. being the first female doctor. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Uh, she's the first female doctor. They're trying to do a bunch of new stuff with that, which I can respect, but in the same vein, yeah. uh, Doctor Who is 50 plus years old at this point. It, it, it It's yeah. like taking Batman, removing all of his villains... And then making him Batgirl, and then introducing <laughs> brand new, almost kind of similar villains. I guess it's it, it's weird. Again, that, that's yeah. that's that's the big that's the big feeling that I get from watching this episode. Is everything is 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 off about it? Yeah, I like you. I respect the idea in theory. Uh, unfortunately, I don't really think Chibnall was the guy to try creating new memorable Doctor Who villains. Frankly, people might not like hearing it, but Stephen Moffat was that guy. He created the Weeping Angels, which are, like, up there with the Daleks and the Cybermen now as, like, iconic Doctor oh, Who yeah. villains. He also created the Silence and a couple of others who are less iconic, but I thought still very, like, interesting and effective, like, season-long villains. Um, that I could see coming back in the future. Those are the guys with the, with the orbs, Chibnall's, right? With the what? Those are the guys that held the orbs? The, the squid-looking dudes? 
Oh no, those are the Ood. Those are from that's, Tenet's that's, tongue. Damn it! Yeah, that's yeah. the Ood. Never mind. No, the Silence were like based on the the Scream. You know that painting? Yeah. Um, and they're they're really cool and creepy because the idea is that they've like evolved so that it's impossible to remember them. So every time you see them, you remember them, and then when you look away, you forget them. And uh, that's why I didn't know what they were. Yeah. Oh my god. Nice. One. Oh my god. Nice one. Um, but like when they, when they say things to you and then you forget, it like lingers in your unconscious mind, like a post-hypnotic suggestion. So like they can, they've been like subtly influencing humanity for, since the beginning. And every time you hear the floorboards creaking in the middle of the night, there is something in your house. But when you go to check, you just forget that you saw anything and you go back to bed. Like it's, you know. That sounds cool as fuck, dude. I'm not going to lie. It's cool as fuck. Um, but my my point is just, like, Moffat was really good at, like, coming with a great premise for a villain and then building on it, whereas I think Chibnall just does not have that in him. Um, and I don't know. I Again, I respect the intent, but uh, it just didn't work out for me. I, I just didn't think it was a convincing... Um, I, 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 I don't like any of the new villains. Um, the show was getting really reliant on its old villains though so i I think it kind of needed to be done again just maybe not the man for the job maybe not so do you want to talk about jody's performance a little bit yeah i I have actual opinions on that besides um uh it was okay (laughs) okay go for it jody whittaker is is the next in in a long line of post-revival doctor who doctors where they try to be uh wacky they they try to be quirky yeah. they're they're they try to like like they kind of like they know how humans work but they're still like that weirdo yes very much so it, it wasn't landing for me with jody because it felt so similar to tenet and, and uh and smith in a way yeah, I've I've often heard it said that Jodie Whittaker is playing a less interesting middle ground between ten and eleven, which is say Tennant and Smith. I think that pretty much hits the nail on the head. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and like that's something that's frustrated me as well. Is like in the in the classic series, every Doctor was incredibly distinct. Um, like not all of them were like wacky and zany. Not all of them were even funny. Um, some of them were just, like, smart. But in the new series, like, Eccleston had a little bit of zany, but he was mostly, like, serious and sarcastic and a little bit scary. And then Tenet ratcheted up the zany. Where, like, he had, like, kind of a human side, but he was also very, like, manic and crazy and kind of hard to, like, figure out sometimes. And then Smith was, like, you know, dialed that up to an 11, where he was, like, zany 99% of the time... But Smith made it interesting because you also knew that all of that zaniness was, like, compensating for something darker underneath. So, like, every once in a while you'd get a glimpse of his doctor's, like, true self. And I always thought that added a lot of, like, layers to his to his performance. Um, Capaldi, sometimes they tried to make him zanier than I think Capaldi was really built to be. But he was, like, a more gruff, more rude, more angry doctor a little more sarcastic and and biting um but then whitaker to me is like all zany and like no substance um which i think is frustrating she feels and and it's it's not because she's a woman i'm gonna throw that there right now she's a good actress i like jodie whitaker as an actress i can't remember a goddamn thing that she's actually in besides this i'm sure she's fine because you know it's it's Doctor Who. They're not gonna pull any any schmuck off the street for that. She did um she did Broadchurch and she did she was in an episode of Black Mirror. That's that you know what, that explains it. it didn't didn't Chibnall work on Yep, Chibnall worked sure on Broadchurch. That makes sure so much did. more sense now. He sure did. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, sorry, go it, ahead. Just real quick, it, it's Whitaker's performance, at least in in like I said, this one half of season two of her run, feels kind of hollow. It, it harkens back to the the, the wacky, uh, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey bullshit that we got when we were in high school. Yeah. Everybody with their fucking sonic screwdrivers 
and their L on Z pins on their fucking <laughs> lanyards. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and again, with past zany doctors, I always felt like there was a little more substance and a little more depth. But, um, Whitaker's doctor, and again, I don't really think it's Whitaker's fault, although I do think maybe this style of humor isn't totally suited to her. I think the real problem with Whitaker is that the writing and direction that she's working with just isn't right. Um, which I think we should talk about Chris Chibnall's writing. Maybe someday when you're, you've brushed up on, on Doctor Who a little bit, we can ramble about Chibnall more. Um, but he's become very infamous in the fandom. He, has, he wrote four episodes previous to taking over a showrunner. And he he didn't write. He wrote under, he wrote under Moffat, I believe. Uh, and a little bit under uh, Russell T Davies during like the Tenet era. Oh wow! So he's been there since the beginning. Yes, but then why does it feel he, so weird? But he wrote an episode for Smith's first season, which was season five, and then he wrote two episodes for Smith's third season, and then he disappeared. So for all for the four years and like more or less three seasons that Capaldi was the doctor, Chris Chibnall disappeared. And oh. in in the like seven eight years that Chibnall was working on the show, show, he only wrote four episodes, and they're generally considered to be pretty bad episodes. Oh boys! So seemingly the only reason he I, I I'm inclined to wonder if the only reason he really got the job is because he's a diehard fan. And because um, he did Broadchurch, so he has experience showrunning. Um, but I do not like his writing. I think it's very flat. I think he does not give nearly enough time to characters. I don't think he's very good at writing comedy. Um, he seemingly only like he never wants there to be any stakes. Like everybody is always fine, um, and he just wants it to be like a fun romp where nothing really matters. And it's okay to have fun romps, but, like, there has to be something larger at stake, or it's, after a while it gets hard to be invested, you know? And I think part of the problem with Whitaker is because the stories she's having to work with are so superficial um, and so, like, stakeless, um, I think her, her doctor winds up feeling really one-dimensional. It, yeah, it, unfortunately, yeah. Um, I, I like I honestly, like I haven't, like I, I've seen, just a, a small portion of Chibnall's writing, um. So yeah. I like I said I guess I'm not as like, either used to or burnt out, by his writing. I, I was, yeah. I all all my Doctor experience has been through Moffat and uh, Davies to an extent, which yeah. he, and. Moffat was yeah. uh, kind of controversial in his, in his own right, though. He very much was. Um, Moffat was a guy who swung for the fences every time, and he often missed or fell short. Um, you either loved or hated like any given Moffat episode, I found. It, there's really um, no middle ground. It, it's... Yeah. Moffat, for all, for all the grief that we gave him... You know, really put his all into in, into show running. Yeah. Um. So, do you want to? We could talk about the the viewership problems that series twelve has happened. Oh no, so yeah, far. Th that's just. Um, and then we'll move yeah, on. Yeah, this is one little thing I wanted to get into myself because this is like this is Doctor Who. Like I said, is very Brian centric. Yeah. You know. And I apologize Which for that, is, but uh, is I thought like I, I should have. I, I, I knew ahead of time we were going to talk about Doctor Who, and I should have either said, like, man, I haven't watched since, like, high school or something, but it, I, I, it helps It helps to have these different opinions and these different views, I guess. that, that that's, my, that's my excuse. <laughs> okay. I hope that works. Um. But, yeah. This is why we're talking about the Mandalorian. As well, I've actually because, watched all the Mandalorian. Uh, um, so yeah, yeah. Doctor Who, just bringing up uh, this this season twelve premiere, uh, really kind of nosedived. 
uh, viewership numbers. Yes. Which there's, I'll just I'll just drop the numbers real quick, and then Brian can uh, can jump in with, you know, the actual facts. Um. So, according to the Sun, which yeah uh, is is a British paper, I guess I don't know. It's it's a it's a slightly um, I don't think people like it's the not sun the, the Sun there, is uh, from what I've heard from British friends it's 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 kind of a rag. Yeah, but the numbers you found there were I found corroborated. All right, so, sources, so. Uh, Spyfall Part One viewership peaked at just over five million viewers, which, which is yeah not a lot. Uh, not for a season not, no, premiere. nowhere near for a season premiere. That that's uh, well. Let me get into that. Uh, last season premiere, season eleven, series eleven, it, interchangeable. Um, which was Whitaker's premiere had about double that. It was somewhere in the ballpark of over nine million viewers, but the week after that, it fell down to six million. So, yeah. this premiere did worse numbers than your standard, you know, in the middle of a season episode. Right, and, uh, you know, that's not super surprising to me because the first season was pretty maligned by fans. Um, a lot of people said that they were swearing off until Chibnall of left. Um, but I was surprised to see that the premiere was still suffering so badly. Now, there, there's... Cause, like, that should attract yeah, attention. But there's some qualifiers there, Brian. What, what, are, what are the qualifiers that, that you know, kind of save well, this? The, the qualifiers don't help the show at all. If anything, they kind of make it look worse. Um, so, part one, uh, again, was watched by roughly 4.8 million viewers. Um, and it was supposedly the second most watched program for the day in the UK. However, the day it debuted was New Year's Day. Oh boy. Um, which could possibly account for it being rated so highly despite relatively low viewership. Um, because then, the following week, which was just a normal, you know, weekend, it was watched by roughly the same amount of people, 4.6 million, uh, was only the fifth most watched program Jeez. of the day. Um, and as far as I know, it was the same time slot, same day of the week. It was just seemingly... Um, seemingly on New Year's, I mean, this is this is all me assuming, but it's the best explanation I can come up with is that on New Year's, people just weren't watching as much TV because they were doing stuff, and so it was the, it was second watch, not first watched, just by virtue of people not watching much else. Um, and then as soon as people were l less involved with the holidays, it plummeted to fifth most watched, um, which is not good. Um, even during, like, and we started to see a decline in viewership in the Moffat area, uh, era, but never that bad. Um, so, I would not be surprised if Chibnall was gone after this season, or possibly the next. Um, and I think Whitaker would probably leave with him. Now, you think it's that dire? Um, I would not, I, I, I don't doubt it. Um, there's already been rumors that they tried to fire Chibnall and Whitaker wanted to walk out with him. Um, although those rumors have been denied consistently, um, I think that it, remains to be seen. It tracks, like I said, they, they you know, should have worked on Broadchurch and Whitaker was, yeah, involved They're there. Friends. So, yeah. yeah, I just think like a season premiere for Doctor Who, and I'm not an expert, but like to me, I feel like they usually average closer to 10 million, and if you have a less than five million premiere, that's scary, you know. Like, what's going to happen to the rest of the season? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I think that's enough about Doctor Who. How about we go ahead and jump into The Mandalorian? Yeah, let's let's go ahead into uh, the, the other thing, because we, you know, we got time we got time to kill. Uh, let's talk about Mandalorian. Alright, man, what, what were your thoughts? Uh, I... It, it feels disingenuous, I guess. I, I really, really liked Mandalorian. But I was also coming off the the hype behind 
uh, you know, the, the current, the then current trilogy of, of movies and all the spinoffs and everything there. Right. And, and of course, all the hype behind, you know, the child. Oh, you mean Baby Yoda? His, his name is the child. It, it's Baby Yoda. It's, it's not Baby, it's, alright, it, colloquially, I suppose it's Baby Yoda, but in the show they say the child. But it is Baby Yoda, though. Alright, it, how do I explain this? Yoda is just one member of the child species. You know, it, it, yeah. if if the child were female, would we call it Baby Yaddle? I would, yes. If the child were human, would we call it Baby Abraham Lincoln? Absolutely. Oh my god. He would have a little stovepipe hat. <laughs> and a little beard. <laughs> Dude, Ugh. Yoda may be one member of that race, but Baby Yoda is another member of that race. I'm just, I'm just saying. I, I, I'm not convinced he's not a clone of Yoda. Anything's possible now. Fucking Force clones. Yeah. Um. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> All right, back on. back on track. Um. For what it was. Which was like, you know, it was it was for Disney Plus. You know, it wasn't built for any specific, uh, you know, channel or broadcaster. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot I can get into without getting into specific topics we wanted to talk about, like alongside Mandalorian. Yeah. But. Just base opinion. Uh, I liked it. I liked it yeah. a lot. It was a breath, it's kind of a breath of fresh air for the the whole like Star Wars universe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I felt pretty similarly. Um, I didn't quite understand all of the hype for the show. I think some of the hype came from Star Wars fans who were really sick of being jerked around and were excited to just having so, have something that was just like nice and simple. Um, but I did enjoy it. I thought. Um, I thought the the Mandalorian himself was like a fun and like subtle character, and I I I was so prepared to hate Baby Yoda, like I hate the minions. Uh, but when you actually see it in the episodes, it's fucking adorable, and you can't like fight it. Um, but it yeah, really I is. I really I really liked it as well. Um, I liked a simpler take on Star Wars. That's one thing I can get into there. It, it's nice. That the stakes are so low. Yeah. So, like, as opposed <clears throat> to the fate of the galaxy, it's, you know, Mandalorian, you know, doesn't get paid. Yeah. Yeah, well, instead of a fucking star killer base that can blow up a whole solar system instead of just a planet, it's, I'm trying to protect an infant that also has crazy telepathy powers. And also, if somebody pulls my helmet off, I have to give up my entire way of life. Like, it's all very personal and very small scale, but it's still easy to be... It's easier, I would say, to be invested in those kinds of stakes than the huge stakes of the sequel trilogy. It's, it's much easier, because it's, it's actually tangible. It's, it's you know, it's, yeah. his, it's, it's one man's livelihood, plus a yeah. baby, as opposed to the fate of the universe. Right. And they take the time to have, like, some nice little character moments. Like, you get to see, like, him, like, slowly bonding with Baby Yoda. I don't remember what episode it is, but there's the episode where the baby keeps playing with uh, the little bobble in his ship, and he, he takes it away from him, but then by the end of the episode, he, he goes out of his way to hand it to the baby. Um, and that's, like, a really tiny little thing, but it's, it's, like, endearing, and it lets you know, they're like, okay, the character's changing, the character's growing. Um, which you can compare that to, uh, Rise of Skywalker, where they tried to force feed mountains of character development in, like, you know, two minute intervals, yeah. and uh, none of it worked. Yeah. So, yeah, I really appreciate this simpler approach. There, there's that one episode that literally is just, like, it's, like, such a minimal set where they're, like, on the, like, prison ship. Oh, yeah, that's one of my favorites, honestly, that's... Me too. It, it Me almost too. feels like a horror movie. It, 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 a like, bit. It, like the it's, big it's climax. Like a thriller. 
It, it starts. Yeah. It starts as like a heist episode, and it ends mm-hmm. as a fucking horror movie. Pretty close, yeah. Um, it's uh, the, it's again as simple as you can get. Um, it's uh, it was fun. It was exciting. It was inventive. Yeah. You learned stuff about the Mandalorian's character in that episode. Um, I will I will say I think sometimes the show was a little too simplistic in the sense that like it fell back on huge genre tropes that are like have gotten kind of like boring and old and it didn't add much new oh to them. definitely for instance, definitely is it the second or the third episode where they're defending the town of like farmers from like empire attackers that was episode and they that like was episode four wasn't that really. was four, okay. yeah. That's when they well, introduced uh, I think Gina Carano. Okay. And oof. Uh, side bad. note. Ooh. Yes. Big crush on Gina Carano. Okay. Valid. Um. But that episode it, it follows that very generic, like Western trope of, you know, the the wandering gunslinger, the wandering warrior has to teach this town to defend itself against a larger, you know, force of bandits or whatever. Um, and I just didn't, it was very predictable. It was very like by the numbers. And I didn't think they did enough to make it like unique or interesting. Um, again, for me, the most interesting parts of that episode were just things that were happening with the Mandalorian's character. Yeah. Uh, for, like for the first time you get to see him take his helmet off. You don't get to see his face yet, but he takes his helmet off and just kind of like eats and relaxes, um, which is like weird after, what you've seen previously, but it's really nice. Yeah. Um, and like, it's, it's something that I want to touch on. It, it's, it's, it's funny how, you know, there's the different writing teams, and everything and directors and all that, but such a simple concept, like, you know, uh, get back, you know, get the, get the old crew back together for one last job, uh, free someone's, you know, free someone from, you know, a prison ship, Something that simple can be, you know, so entertaining. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's just because, like, it's well-written, everything's well-directed. Um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of love put into, like, practical effects, which, admittedly, having grown up with the prequels, I never really cared that much about the, oh, you should use practical effects instead of CGI. That never bothered me that much, but... I gotta admit, a lot of the practical effects in this show are, like, amazing. Dude, I'm honestly such a big proponent of practical effects. I've come to be that way, um, as time has gone on. My my favorite movie is Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. And that is 95% practical effects. Yeah. And the movie is beautiful for it. See, the the, the movie that started to turn me around was uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Which is like all practical effects, and it's great. Um, also, like I, I'm not crazy about the movie Blade Runner, like story wise, but it's mostly practical effects, and it holds up unbelievably well. Um, so, like, and that that's y- the biggest thing with practical effects versus yeah. computer graphics. Yeah, is when it arguably when, when it's done effects, right, it lasts. Yeah, practical effects, they're it takes more time. Yeah. But when done properly, it's timeless. Yeah. And and we're all well aware of 20-year-old CG. Yeah. That looks like a goddamn PlayStation 2 game. Right, like, I may have grown up with the prequels, but I can't deny that the droids in Episode 1 look like absolute shit. You know? <laughs> they just do. Um, but, uh... Baby Yoda, like, that puppet, you can tell... Hours and hours and hours of, like, blood, sweat, tears, and love went into making that thing. Um, and I, I really like it when you can see that in the quality of, of, of the, the props and the sets. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of, just another side thing real quick. Speaking of the, the love and care that's put into the series. Everyone's talked about it. Um, you know how uh, the, the 501st Legion... Like the charity stormtroopers that everyone that uh, that go around to like your local events, right? If it's anywhere near nerd related, they yeah. got to fill out the ranks for uh, some of the stormtroopers in the series, right? Yeah, they did. Which is is just to the fandom. It's it's a it's a beautiful love letter. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, just because there there was there was like like uh, some of the five hundred first came to like some local like uh, fair or something in my hometown, and like seeing that, seeing the costume thing up close, there was a solid month. I was like uh, fourteen or something. Like I'm gonna join the five hundred first. That shit's expensive, so never mind. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, and and I was I was watching the final episode of Mandalorian with a friend, and there's a scene where a uh, uh, stormtrooper's helmet gets smashed to pieces, and he actually commented to me. He was like, "How much fucking money do you think they paid that guy to get him to agree to break his helmet?" Because I would assume that it was probably the guy's helmet, like probably like if if they're if they're trying to like save costs by bringing in fan actors. Presumably, they wouldn't make a new helmet just for this guy. I mean, maybe they would, but... Um, maybe they did. It's Disney. They got money out the ass. Yeah, it, it's possible. Presumably, but... that is that dude's actual, like, cosplay helmet. Yeah. Um, and But honestly, those... I bet that dude was like, you want to destroy it? Fuck yes! Like, looking That'd be in, awesome! Like, again, going back, looking into it, dude, like, those suits... They're fucking four figures... For, like, a, a movie-quality, yeah. like, good one. Yeah, that's insane. Like, it's the same price as, as like, a, a decent fursuit, dude. It, it's fucking insane. <laughs> Great comparison. You gotta tie it into the audience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my storm Sona. <laughs> my, 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 tr- my, tr- my troop Sona. <laughs> Bro, this is troop bait. Come on. God. <laughs> God damn it. Where's my troop bait Pokemon starter? <laughs> what? <coughs> Killing me. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the the attention to detail and the love like to the fans is really nice. Um, and that, that, that's that, that like that's what really gets to me at, at the heart of it is it, yeah. it's, it's 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 a love letter in a in a way. I, I don't I don't want to get too super sappy about it but it, it feels almost like a love letter to star wars fans right um now a minute ago we talked about how it has a lot of like western tropes um and i've heard a lot of people say that oh it's a western and that means they finally brought star wars back to its roots uh how do, how do you feel about that and and also do you consider the mandalorian a western uh yeah uh just it, the easy question first. Uh, I consider the Mandalorian as a as a space western. It's the closest thing we've gotten to a pure space western since Firefly. Yeah, I would say so. Like just just uh, just one man and his gun. But most most of the time one man. Um, very self sufficient. Yeah. Uh, exploration just just out there making money. He's a bounty hunter. You know it's it's. Yeah, it, it's a space western. Now, Star Wars itself... Here, here's where things get complicated. Star Wars itself isn't a full out-and-out out space western. Um, yeah. Star Wars is a weird pastiche of different genres. Uh, uh-huh. Like, your space western, that everyone points out to, that that would be uh, Luke and Ben on, on uh, Moist Eisley or on Tatooine. Also, the whole Han shot first stuff. That's yeah. that's very much like the quick draw, uh, rogue like you. Know. Han, Han Solo is is very that, that that's the big, yeah. Thank you for that. that that's the big tie into like space western. But yeah, I've heard it described as like a space opera. It's yep, sci-fi, high, high fantasy. fantasy. It's yeah. Uh, it turns into a goddamn heist movie at one point. There's also shitloads of, even just in episode four, shitloads of elements of, like, World War Two like, dogfighting. Um, I forget the name for the genre, but for years there was an actual genre in the pulps and on TV for, like, pilots getting into dogfights in the air. Really? Um, but, like... Lucas liked those serials as a kid, and, and it shows in the Star Wars movies. The space battles definitely draw on that. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm on the same page with you, um, where I 
I have always been very skeptical of, of the fact that Star Wars is a so-called, like, space western. Um, I think that there are some western elements throughout, but by and large, it's mostly just in part of A New Hope. Like, eventually, A New Hope becomes a movie about, like, infiltration. It's kind of like a heist movie, except the thing they're stealing is a princess. And then there's there's the, the, the aerial combat elements, the World War II stuff in A New Hope as well. Um, and then it seems to me that the rest of the movies, um, if we're just looking at the movies, it seems to me that the rest of the movies only use Western elements very sparingly. Even Han Solo becomes less of a Western figure, to my mind. Yeah, um, he goes there, He goes from, like, from, like, loner uh, hero from your Western serial to uh, a war hero. Yeah, to a, a and, and they're... Yeah, and, and there are, like, like bounty hunters are a big thing in Star Wars, which is very Western, and, like, certain planets, like, Tatooine are on, like, essentially, like, the Western frontier, where, like, the law doesn't really apply, you know, like, anything can happen. Yeah. Um, but, by and large, I've never considered Star Wars to be as much of a Western as people say it is, um, at least, again, talking about the films. I think The Mandalorian 100% is a Western, and as a fan of Westerns, I really dig that. Um, now, how how did you feel about the one-off, like, episodic format? I, it, it, it's different. I, I'm, I'm so yeah. used to everything, have, everything ties into everything, everything's an overarching theme. Uh, it, it's, I guess it, it's different. I, I enjoyed it, personally. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I don't, have, I don't have a lot to say about it. Otherwise, I'd be actually saying something with this. Yeah. But I think it works just because it's so different from everything else. It, even, right. Not, not even just Star Wars, just everything. Everything nowadays has to tie into something bigger. It has to be its, its own universe. It's, yeah. it's refreshing right. just to be able to sit down and, and, and catch, you know, you don't have to watch start to finish. You don't have to binge it. It's it's all it's it's taking your own pace. It's very it's epi- the episodic nature really lends itself to how much I've enjoyed it. Weirdly enough, yeah. Um, I I'm more or less like the episodic style. Uh, I do agree. Like nowadays, every everything is so like long form and inter interconnected, and you know, <clears throat> there's always these long arcs in TV nowadays. Um, so I, I, I think it ties back into one of the things that makes the Mandalorian nice is that it's a little more simple. Um, I will say sometimes when the episodes felt a little more generic, like as I mentioned, the episode where they're like helping the town defend itself, those were the moments where I thought the episodic format was struggling a little bit because I was like, I just did, I don't know, I just didn't really feel like I was getting enough out of that episode and I feel, felt like I could have been if it was tied into like a larger plot. Um, but then certain other episodes, like the, the horror story on the prison ship, like, that was great, and, uh, and, you know, it didn't need to be connected into anything larger, really. Um, the character arcs are the things that are connecting the episodes, but that sometimes isn't always apparent, because, like, the Mandalorian barely talks, and Baby Yoda can't. So the, the, the character arcs are very, like, slow-paced and kind of mild, but I think in a good way. Yeah, the, um, the actual, like, dialogue everything, that, that's all... That's all pretty much based on the, the one-off characters that we see in every episode. Yeah. And they do reincorporate some stuff. Like, some characters from earlier one-offs do come back and become relevant in later episodes, which I appreciate. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the next season was a little more arc-heavy, um, a little more long-form. I, I hope it doesn't. I, I hope it retains this, this kind of free episodic format um yeah but of uh, but of course the Mandalorian season one this was like almost an experiment on Disney's part yeah, yeah. can they produce yeah. high quality content higher quality original content for their uh for their streaming platform which yeah I believe they have they, they can or I'm hoping is they they don't end up tying the Mandalorian into the big overarching uh, multiverse of Star Wars. Yeah. 
Well, one of the things that I appreciate about the show so much is that although there is plenty of nostalgia in it, it's not wholly reliant on that. And, um, like, this is their replacement for the Boba Fett spinoff movie they plan to make. And, like, instead of, like, dragging Boba Fett's corpse out of the Sarlacc pit, they (laughs) said, what what if we borrowed, like, elements of Boba Fett and made something whole, like, much more original and, like, something that involved, like, existing lore and that the fans could get behind? And I think that was a really smart move, and I think it paid off. Oh, it paid off in dividends, man. Yeah. Now, uh, we are running out of time, so I think we should just address our last little question. Um, are people just excited about The Mandalorian because it doesn't feel like the sequel trilogy? Yes. You think so? At, at least that that's what drew me in. Okay. Is yeah. it, it, It's wholly separate from the sequel trilogy. Uh, of course, everything has to tie back in. Uh, there's, there's a whole like timeline that I found... Um, that this ties, the Mandalorian, uh, is, like, a few years after the Empire Falls, but yeah. it's, it's, like, 20 to 30 years before the First Order forms. Yes. So, it, it's in that lawless peace time, I guess, for the galaxy. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and we, we don't really know exactly what happened in that time period, and, you know, so that's kind of a, a nice, like, blank slate area where, like, the show can kind of stretch and grow yeah, uh, without having to worry about too much of the sequel trilogy stuff. De- um, definitely. So, so for me to answer this question, um, I think that's definitely part of it. I think partly people are just glad it's not the sequel trilogy. They think it feels a little more like classic, like, OT Star Wars. Um and I only say that because while I think it is a good show, I I saw a lot of people raving it about it being, like, the best thing ever. And I don't know if I would really go that far. I enjoyed watching it, and I will definitely want to watch season two. Um, I'm really excited with what they're doing with the show, but I don't think it's quite as groundbreaking as a lot of people think it is. I think it's more just, like, Star Wars fans have gotten a little bit used to kind of being abused, if I can be, like, a drama queen for a minute. Um... <laughs> And, uh, like, or at least they're convinced they've been abused, you know, uh, I guess that's open for debate, but, um, this show is more about, like, getting back to the status quo and kind of respecting the fan base a little more again, and I think that's a big part of why people have been so, like, over the moon happy about it. Definitely, yeah, it's... It, it ties back into what we started this with. There's no stakes to it. It's it's just, it, it it's it's a, it's a fun, entertaining space western fr- with a name that everyone recognizes. Yeah, and there's some nice like character stuff in it. And there's a cute little Baby Yoda mascot and a cool, silent like gunslinger protagonist. It's very simple but very, uh, very different from what was going on previously. Yeah. Um, well, Brian, I think that's about all we can drag out of these topics. Um, which, again, this is why it was uh, kind of a two-for episode here today. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Cthulhu Light Show. Uh, you can find the podcast, you know, uh, if you haven't already found it on your preferred platform, you can find the podcast on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play Podcasts. So yeah, I got everything covered for you, iPhone, Android, whatever users. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and, and Instagram at Dak Russellford. And you can follow me nowhere. Because you still don't have any sort of social media presence. Which, honestly, I envy. <laughs> it's kind of nice. It probably won't last for long, but it's kind of nice. It, enjoy it while it lasts, man. Um, I but will. Fork through the light show. You know, I'm Dakota. I'm Brian. And thank you for listening. Bye. Farewell.